Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you again today. And I just want to just say thank you so much for allowing Linda and I to be with you guys uh, for the month of June. I hope you've enjoyed and appreciated uh, what God has had to say to us uh, from the book of Proverbs. It's a tremendous book, and we've hardly uh, even begun to uh, pull out all the treasures uh, in that wonderful book of the Bible. But uh, I am so encouraged to be with you this month, uh, just to see your love for Jesus. Uh, in your motto, you say to love God and to love others. And I've really seen that demonstrated here the Sunday mornings I've been here. And so keep up the good work for Jesus, will you? Uh, keep growing in your relationship with him. Uh, keep telling others about him. What was that first song you sang this morning about being the salt and the light and saying so? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we need to do more of that, don't we? Uh, one of the joys for me uh, working uh, in the workplace, uh, one of the challenges actually has been to live out my faith and, and to tell others about Christ and, and uh, practice what I've preached all these years. How about that? And it's been a real challenge and God has really provided some wonderful open doors uh, actually, a guest showed up here uh, year, last year, and I could tell the Holy Spirit was really working in their life. So uh, they asked about someone I knew who I knew would witness to them. And uh, I told him, yeah, go see this fella. And uh, he did, and, and they did, the husband and wife. And to make a long story short, they gave their hearts to Jesus. And, but it all started there in the farm shop out there at Souter Museum. So God can work, can he, in a marvelous and wonderful ways. Well, the Bible uh, talks a lot about money. What a topic to go out on, huh? <laughs> you know, when Jesus was here on earth, uh, he talked a lot about money. And so did King Solomon, one of the wisest and richest people who ever lived on planet earth. Guided by the Holy Spirit, King Solomon teaches us in the book of Proverbs how to handle our money wisely. He shows us how to manage our money well. He actually, I believe, gives us several money management practices, not principles, but practices that I'm confident if you and I will follow them in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will begin to experience financial freedom and the peace that we just sang about. And the first of these money management practices is this, and it really doesn't actually come from the book of Proverbs, but it comes from King David, the father of King Solomon, and it's this, to steward it seriously. When it comes to money, we need to, say it with me, church, steward it seriously. You might ask, but what is a steward? Well, according to the scriptures, a steward is someone entrusted, entrusted with another person's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it in the best interest of the owner. A steward is not the owner. You understand that, don't you? He only or she only manages what has been given to him or her. 
As a steward, are you listening, church? You are responsible for the treasure God has given you. God has given you and me money, possessions, and material goods. And it's up to us to manage all of that for the glory of God. And King Solomon's father, King David, understood this money management practice. Because look at what he says, and we're going to begin in 1 Chronicles today. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 14 to 16. Let's turn to it in our Bibles. Now in these verses, David is praying. He's praying over a very wonderful and generous overflowing kind of offering given by the people of Israel to build the temple of the Lord. Soon King David would die and his son Solomon would become king and it would be his opportunity to in fact build that temple. But now everything that's needed for the building project is on hand and David is grateful. He is grateful because look at how he prays here. After listing the amount of gold, silver, and precious stones contributed, look what he says, look what he prays. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all the things come from who? From you. And of your own have we given to you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from where? From your hand and is all your own. Do you see it? Do you see it there? David couldn't have been more clear, could have he? His point is simply this. The reason why he and the people of Israel gave so generously is that, they, is that because they recognize that all their wealth comes from God. Do you believe that this morning? Look again at verse 13, 14. He says, all things, not some things, but everything, all things come from you, God. And then I'm translating this literally at the end of the verse, from your hand have we given to you. Whatever our hands brought to you in this offering, you, they were first in your hand. You own it all. And you graciously and generously gave it to us so that we can now, King David says, give it back to you. King David understood that he was a steward. You see it? Do you understand that you are a steward of everything you possess right now? It has been given to you by God. 
And it's your responsibility to steward it wisely. To steward it according to the will of God and for His glory. And that leads to a second practice that King Solomon talks about. And that's the fact that you need to earn it honestly. Say it with me, church. Earn it honestly. And we discover this practice in Proverbs chapter 20. Let's turn to it. Verses 10 and 23. Proverbs 20, verses 10 and 23. This is a great warning for us. It says, unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike. This is strong words. An abomination to the Lord. Look at verse 23. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. So what is King Solomon talking about here? Well, he's referring to an ancient practice among unscrupulous and dishonest merchants where they would weigh out on a scale sugar for their customers. So a customer comes in and asks for five pounds of sugar. What does he do? He puts a five pound st- or four-pound stone on there. And even though he paid for five pounds of sugar, he only honestly gets four. Or we could, we could flip it around. The customer uh, misplaces the labels on the stones and switches a five-pound stone for a six-pound stone and walks away with, instead of five pounds of sugar like he ordered and paid for, only six, four, six pounds. See, in either case, such deceitfulness is, what does it say? An abomination, meaning a terrible and revolting thing to God. I don't want to go there, do you? One cannot easily pass it off as shrewd bargaining or rationalize it by insisting, well, everyone does it. It is quite simply an abomination to the Lord. So let me just ask us some questions. Does integrity require that the seller of a home or a car mention to a prospective buyer those unseen but undeniable flaws in the product? What if those flaws had been quietly passed on to you by the previous owner? Does that justify your silence when it comes time for you to sell that car? What about people who violate copyright laws by duplicating uh, rented DVDs or computer software? Is it an an abomination to the Lord when a person fails to report on his tax return that small income earned on the side that that has no traceable records? Do you rationalize keeping excess change mistakenly given to you at the grocery store by saying, well, they're overcharging me for the tomatoes anyways. God is concerned with the little things no less than he is with the big things. 
And it's, you know, stunning to think that God views everything we do and think in life as either an abomination or a delight. So we must ask this question, do we regard those minor misrepresentations in business or shopping or speaking as only part of the game everyone plays or do we regard them, are you listening church, as an abomination to the Lord? Let's move on. A third money management practice. This does not get easier. It does not get easier for the speaker this morning. But we need to budget it prudently. Say it with me, church. Budget it prudently. We need to budget our money carefully. In other words, God wants us to have a plan for the money. Are you listening? That he has entrusted to us. His steward. God's word teaches that the wise person plans ahead, but the foolish person simply lives for today. And as followers of Jesus, we are told to plan how we're going to spend and invest God's money. Turn with me to chapter 21. Proverbs 21, verse 5. Look at what it says there. It says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to what? Abundance. But everyone who is hasty and, you know, spends it all only comes to what? Poverty. I like how the Living Bible paraphrases this verse. It says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And having a plan for your money is called Are you listening? A budget. (laughs) A budget. Linda and I just had the joy of redoing our budget a couple months ago. We were taking a Financial Peace University class, which we're going to ask all of our people to take in the new year at Archibald E. Van. We're celebrating 150 years at that church. Is it 150 years? Am I right on that, Linda? I think it's 150 years of that church's ministry. They, they planted you, you know. You come out of the Archibald Evan Church. And they've planted lots of churches over the years. But they still have a debt. They have a new facility and they have a new debt. And they thought, let's have a campaign to take care of all the debt. And then us elders said, no, no, no. Let's take care of our debt and then whoa, we can take care of the church debt. And so that's our plan. And so in that class, we've been learning to budget. God's word teaches us that the wise person plans ahead. The foolish person simply lives for today. A budget is telling your money where you want it to go rather than wondering, where did it go? Every believer needs to develop a God-driven plan for the money they've been entrusted with. But before we work on that budget, we need to know our financial condition. Turn with me to chapter 27 of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27, verses 23 and 24. It just says there, Know well the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever, 
Boy, do we know that, huh? And does a crown endure to all generations? Now, Solomon wrote this. Now, when Solomon wrote this, almost everybody that initially received this letter had their assets tied up in flocks, sheep, cattle, or goats. They were shepherds and ranchers by trade. So he's saying, know your assets. Know the state of your flocks. Today Solomon maybe would say, know the state of your stocks. Know where you put your money. Know where it's going. So the starting point is to keep good records. You've got to keep track of your finances. You've got to be aware of how you use your money. Listen to me. You have to plan your spending. But in order to plan your spending, you need to keep good records. If you don't, it's like a river with no banks. It just spreads out all over and it's diverted and divested. And pretty soon it's all gone, right? You need to be realistic about your finances. You need to, I think, ask these four questions. What, what do I earn? How much money do you bring in each month? What do I own? What are your assets? House, car, investments, pension, anything worth something. What do I owe? These are your loans, student, student, car, credit card, or mortgage. And what are your monthly expenses? And from, and from that information, you need to build a budget. Now, if you don't get anything else that I'm going to say today, get this. Are you listening? Financial freedom. And I've learned this the hard way. Financial freedom is not determined by how much you make. It's determined by how you spend it. If you don't have a plan, your yearning will always exceed your earning. And you'll always be in debt. No matter how much money you make, your expenses always rise. Isn't it interesting with your income? They always do. I know people who can't live. I know this is a pastor. I know people who can't live and make it on $150,000 a year. You need a budget. And then, here's the fourth practice. You need to save and spend it wisely or smartly. Say that with me. Save and spend it smartly. Turn back to chapter 13. Proverbs 13. Verse 11. It says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Just let that sink in. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will what? Will increase it. I recently read that in Florida, 70% of their lottery winners are bankrupt within three years. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? Money that comes easily disappears quickly. But money, it says here, that's gathered little by little, meaning you save it, grows. I think you, need to, you and I need to set three kinds of financial goals. Saving goals, spending goals, and giving goals. 
You need to know those things. Next, let's turn to Proverbs 21, verse 20. Proverbs 21, verse 20. It says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So according to that verse, the wise man saves for the future. The Bible says it's wise to save. We're not very good at that as Americans, are we? I read this week that the average Japanese citizen saves 25% of his income. The average European citizen saves 17% of their income. But the average American saves less than, what do you think, 5% of his or her income. Study after study shows that baby boomers, I'm one of those, baby boomers are going to be broke in retirement. Why? Because they've not been saving. They've not been preparing for retirement. We need to save and spend our money. Not our money, but God's money, right? Say it with me, church, smartly. Then next, this doesn't get any easier. Are you with me this morning? We need to borrow it cautiously. Say that with me. Borrow it cautiously. Turn to Proverbs 22. I guess we're right there. Verse 7. It says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is what? Slave to its lender. Slave to its lender. Now, I think what King Solomon is getting at here is that excessive debt, for instance, exorbitant credit card debt, can take away freedom decrease what we can do in the future, mess up relationships, huh? And tempt us to do wrong. It literally can enslave us. You know, young couples today go so quickly into debt without understanding the negative consequences. 55 years ago, people went into debt reluctantly, even for a house. But today, delayed payments are so common that people are buying all kinds of luxuries on credit. I heard this past week that a typical college freshman today is sent a credit card upon enrollment that has a $5,000 spending limit. Studies show that shoppers nearly double their purchases if they use any kind of credit card other than cash. Time Magazine reported that consumer debt has doubled this past decade. And it is estimated this past Christmas that Americans charged $13 billion more than last Christmas on their credit cards. We are caught up in credit card buying. Of the people who have charged cards, 70, this is what I found out this week, 70% have balances over $3,000. Most are paying between 17% and 20%, 21% interest on that balance. And 75% of Americans, that's us, who use credit cards, make only the minimum payment. Now, if you got a $3,000 balance and you make only the minimum payment, it will take you nearly, are you listening, church? It will take you nearly 10 years to pay it off, and you will have paid them $6,000. 
That's why the credit card companies love us so much. I found out this week that they mail out over 3 billion credit card solicitations in a year. And how many of you got a call from them this week, maybe? Trying to sell their credit card to you. Now, listen to me. It is not a sin to have a credit card or to be in debt. Credit cards can be an advantage if you pay them off at the end of the month and they establish your credibility. And there are times when you're investing in a house or some business or other necessity that debt is essential. But we must, for the most part, avoid debt as much as possible. Because that's when a person is truly free. That's what this verse is saying in Proverbs 22, verse 7. Borrow cautiously. You ready for more? Are we done? No, we're not done. Number six, give it generously. We need to give to God first. Now listen to me. I'm saying that a lot this morning, aren't I? If God really takes priority in your life, how many would claim that today? If God really takes priority in our life, we should demonstrate it in our giving. Do you put your money where your mouth is? All of us probably say God is important to us, but do we demonstrate it in our giving? Turn with me to chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, and you'll get why I'm asking these questions. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord. That's what we're all about, right? Honoring the Lord. Honor there literally means make the Lord weighty, weighty in your life, most important in your life. And one way we can do that is in our wealth, being a steward. Honor the Lord with your wealth, and what else? And with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now the first fruits were exactly what they suggest. The first fruits of the harvest. Back in Bible times, they would collect, they would collect the first of their crop and yes, give it to the Lord. I see farmers out there getting their first cutting of hay right now. They would have taken some of that first fruit back in Bible times and given it First to the Lord. And it was both, listen to me, an act of thanks for what God had provided, and it was also an act of faith. By giving the first fruits, you were saying to God, I trust you to bring in the rest of the crop. Now, obviously, most of us are not farmers here this morning, are we? But the principle is still there. When we get paid, do we give to God first? 
Or do we give God the leftovers after all the bills are paid and our desires are fulfilled and then say to God, here you go, God, here's the $10 I have left over. What are we communicating to God when we do that? That he's really not that important like we say he is in our life. And so we're to give to God first, generously. Even if it means having to live on a little less. But how much should we give? Well, in the Old Testament, God established the tithe, which is 10% or a tenth of their crop or flocks. In other words, it was 10% of their income. The purpose of the tithe was to provide for the needs of the priesthood, the upkeep of the temple, and the care of poor widows and orphans. In the New Testament, I believe, Jesus affirmed the tithe as a good thing. In Matthew 23, 23. So, for Linda and I, we strive to give a tithe, at least, to the Lord. And sometimes God leads us to give maybe even a little more. And I'll tell you what, my first, my first pay as a youth pastor at Archibald Evan, I think was around $10,000 a year. Now, you know how old I am, huh? <laughs> That's like 45 years ago. But I strove to tithe to God off that 10000 wasn't easy. I'm, I'm just fresh out of college and seminary, trying to pay off that debt trying to set up a household. And yet, God always met our needs. I'm here today to testify to that. I don't, I don't have a want in the world right now. God has blessed Linda and I over the years. He's met all our needs. He's opened that storehouse many, many times for us. Not only do we need to give to God first, but it's very clear in Proverbs that we need to give to the needy too. God also expects our generous giving to support those who are in need. Turn over to chapter 14 with me very quickly. There are actually lots of verses in Proverbs about uh, giving to the needy, giving to the poor. But look what it says here in verses 21 and 31. It says, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Look down at verse 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy, here's that word honor again, what does it do? It makes him weighty first in our life. So we need to give. Give to God first and give to those in need. And then, very quickly, we need to keep all this in perspective, this money thing. Uh, I just want to say, and I'm guilty of this, we, we tend to make money a whole lot more important than I think it should be in our lives. 
Do I hear an amen to that? For instance, we'll have these verses on the screen. King Solomon, number one, says, money will be of no benefit to you on the day of judgment. You know that? Look what he says in Proverbs eleven forty one: Riches do not limit the day, do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness and only righteousness found in Christ through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ delivers from death. We sang about that this morning in praise to our God, how he has delivered us who have trusted him as our Lord and Savior, who have experienced his grace and mercy, how we have been delivered from death. Money doesn't do you any good on Judgment Day. I think there are people who believe they can purchase eternal life. Remember, I had an aunt living in Detroit who I stayed with her when I was going to a seminar, and she had this idea that if she gives to God, she'll go to heaven. And I remember witnessing to her one night about that. She had just got somebody, she lived in Detroit, somebody had just grabbed her purse and stolen. She thought she needed to go to church to make an offering to God. Uh, to just, so that wouldn't happen again. I go, Aunt Blanche, you don't need to do that. You need to trust in Jesus. He's the only one that can save you. Solomon goes on to say, the fear of God is greater, of greater value than riches. Look what he says in Proverbs 15, 16. Better is a little, he's talking about money here, with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. We need to keep it in perspective. Are you with me? What about a good reputation? Solomon says a good reputation is superior to great wealth. Look what he says in Proverbs 22.1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. And truth. Solomon says truth is greater, of greater value than riches too. He says in Proverbs 28.6. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Keep it in perspective. The most important thing in life is not that paycheck this week. The most important thing in life is your relationship with Jesus Christ and living for Him. The most important thing is being a man or woman of God. Keep it in perspective. And then, one last thing. This is the bottom line. We need to trust in God, not money. Jesus warned us about this. <laughs> Didn't he? And why should we trust in God and not money? Because money can't, can't save you, can't sustain you. Look at what it says in Proverbs eleven twenty eight. 28. It says, whoever trusts his riches will what? Say it with me, church. Fall. I didn't hear you. Fall. But the righteous, the man who has accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, who has trusted in his grace and mercy, who has been made right with God through faith in Christ and what he has done for them on the cross. But the righteous will flourish. What does it say? Like what? Like a green leaf. Actually, we can find this challenge on our money. 
Pull out your money with me right now. Any cash on you? <laughs> I was thinking about having you all bring your cash up to me right now. Here's a $20 bill. What does it say on it? Say it, what? God we trust. See, I think there's a $5 bill in here. Oh, there's a $5 bill in here too. What does it say? God we trust. And there's some singles in here. What does it say? It's right on our money. Don't trust in me, the money's saying. Trust in who? Trust in God. So the bottom line today is we just need to get right with God if we're not right with God and trust in Him. And when we trust in Him, He'll help us put these practices into practice. Because this is what His Word says we should do with our money. This is what it means to steward it seriously. There is a, a prayer in the book of Proverbs, not written by King Solomon, but Egu. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Eager. That's how I want to say it. Eager. Uh, it's in, uh, where is it found? It's found in chapter 30. Let's turn to it. I want everybody to turn to this. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 29. Or wait a minute, what do I want here? Uh, verses 7 and 9. 7 through 9. Proverbs chapter 30. No wonder I was saying the wrong thing. I was in the wrong chapter there. Proverbs chapter 30. Verses 7, 8, 9. This is, this is a prayer. The only prayer I know of in the book of Proverbs. And I think it's a pretty good prayer to pray this week, actually. Especially when it comes to money. And I wonder if we'd be willing to agree to every day this week pray this prayer back to God. Because I think this prayer encapsulates what it means to trust God more than what? Money. Look at what he prays. This is kind of like his bucket list here. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. And here it is. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Meet my needs. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I wonder if you'd be willing this week to pray, God, give me neither poverty nor riches. And I think we all understand why we would pray and ask God to not give us poverty, Right? But why in the world would anyone in their right mind pray that God would not give them too much money? Well, I can think of some potential dangers of excessive wealth, can't you? Number one, it may have a numbing effect on the heart, causing us to feel that all is well spiritually simply because all is well financially. When there's plenty of money in the bank and we feel secure for the future, the urgency, the urgency, listen to me, I'm just being honesty, honest here, the urgency of daily faith in God's provision diminishes. Too much money 
may serve to undermine our sense of dependency on God. When our problems are few and those we do face can be addressed by drawing upon the financial resources we have, we lose sight of how desperately, how desperately we need God for everything. It may fuel our pride. Too much money. It says in Proverbs 28, 11, a rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. It may serve to dull our awareness that everything we have is a gift from God. And it may lead us to look for satisfaction in something other than Jesus Christ. I get this prayer. You? And I think if we would pray this prayer, if we'd purpose here today to pray this prayer every day this week, it would be a beautiful and honoring way to trust God more than our money. So that's the challenge today. To pray the prayer of a goo, Igur. <laughs> I don't know how you say his name. I know it's not Ugur. I do know that. <laughs> but what a great prayer. Let's look at it again. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. And here it is. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. That's a challenging prayer, isn't it? It's not an easy one to pray. But I think it could be life-changing. Will you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for how you have so richly blessed all of us in this room. I mean, when we look around at a hurting world, we here in America are extremely blessed by you. Many of us maybe think, well, I don't have a lot of money, but I'll tell you what, if we compared ourselves to an average person in India or Africa right now, we would be the wealthiest guy or gal in that country. God, forgive us. Forgive us for our greed. Forgive us for the times we have misused your money. Forgive us, Lord, for maybe allowing ourselves to fall into extreme debt where it's almost like we're enslaved. God, I'm praying for freedom for all of us here in Christ today and for financial peace, Lord. Oh God, if we need to go home and set up a budget, invest and spend more smartly, or if we just need to become more generous in our giving to you and to the poor. God, work in our life today. Show us your will. Show us what you want us to take home with us from this message. And bring about that change, God. Oh, Holy Spirit, we can't do anything without you. We can't, but you can. And so, Holy Spirit, take control of your people here today. Give us peace and give us self-control. 
May we find our satisfaction in Jesus and Jesus only. Help us, Lord, to trust in you and not money this week. And Lord, we ask that you don't give us too much, but also that you don't make us poor. Just meet our needs. That's all we ask. And that's all we're trusting you for today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died in our place. Money doesn't save, only Jesus. And what you did for us on the cross. Thank you for your cross, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us eternal, abundant life. We love you, Lord. And our desire is to live for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.